You are listening to the Real Faith Stories podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Shane Myers, welcome to Real Faith Stories, man. Great to have you on the program today. Thanks. Great to be with you. We're going to dig into the fascinating story about the way the Lord has kindly engineered your footsteps from being in several major corporations in oil and gas, then a very dramatic situation that occurred physically in your life in the midst of making a decision about whether to leave corporate America and become involved in full-time, I put this in air quotes, ministry, and Mm -hmm. would love to dive into that. Before we do, could you please share some of your backstory and where you grew up and how you came to faith? Yeah. So I uh, grew up in Denver, Colorado. My parents were both pretty solid believers. And so I grew up going to Sunday school, being a part of Awana, going to church. And I remember making that first prayer of salvation when I was about four or five. I was actually watching Gospel Bill on TV, had no idea he was in Oklahoma, (laughs) where I am now, but came to faith and got baptized a couple years later. And I was the really model child, I think, from my parents' perspective. I was always memorizing Bible verses, loved to study theology, was always hanging out with the right people, but I was also pretty legalistic (laughs) and had a pretty pharisaical spirit most of my pre-20s. But the Lord graciously broke me of my pride and sense of being good enough. And that was through, through my marriage, after I got married and through working and just realizing how little control I had. And Mm. so that really kind of launched a journey of, okay, Lord, show me what what it means to to let you be in control of my life. I studied engineering in Colorado in college. I'd always wanted to go into some science and math. My dad was an engineer and got really interested in chemistry from a good chemistry teacher and did chemical engineering, went to a school out in Colorado and then got a job in oil and gas as an engineer. Well, was there a single event or were there multiple events that impacted you to recognize, gosh, I really do need to humble myself before the Lord? Yeah. So the short version is I got married my first year out of college and my wife and I both knew the Lord, but weren't walking real closely. Just that first year of marriage was really tough, just involved a lot of a lot of struggles that we didn't anticipate and still wanting to hold on to ourselves and doing things our way. And so I really tried to control my wife in a lot of unhealthy ways. And that just led to a lot of friction in the marriage to the point where we, we didn't really know that we should stay married. Wow. And it was in that time where I just realized, you know, I've said, I've, I believe in Jesus that I'd given my life to him but now when things were falling apart, it was, do I really believe this? And so it was that crisis of, do I call out to him and ask for his help and surrender to him? Or do I just turn and keep doing my own thing? And so thankfully he gave us both the strength to turn back to him 
and seek after him. And he brought a lot of healing and restoration in our marriage. But that was really the first time where I saw all of my effort, all my hard work really didn't mean a whole lot. And honestly, me trying to do it all was doing it all in a very broken way. Isn't it amazing what marriage reveals? (laughs) (laughs) That's putting it lightly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Marriage is the great revealer. And I think God uses it in such incredible ways to shift us and mold us into his image as painful as it can be. Yeah. The results are so, so powerful. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Yes. After that experience and walking through that and then being involved in oil and gas, share what happened next, please. I've been working in oil and gas for about five or six years. We were living in Denver at the time. We had a couple kids by this point. Got to go with our church in Denver to Israel for just a tour, a whirlwind tour. And while we were there, we just felt like, man, we're in Israel. We feel like we should maybe be asking the Lord things, <laughs> like seeing all these places you read about all your life. It's like, oh man, okay, we should probably be doing more than just seeing this as tour tourists. We uh-huh. want to see if the Lord has anything for us. And so we're actually in the Garden of Gethsemane and we just thought, you know, we had a couple hours to pray. And so we just started praying together and we both just heard on our own, really this idea of, will you trust me through a transition or that a transition was coming? And so when we you know, started talking, we both shared that that is what we were sensing. And so, but we had no idea what that was going to look like. <laughs> That's about all we had. You're in the garden of Gethsemane, which in and of itself is amazing. And you both are praying separately. And then you both hear separately that you sense there's a transition coming and the Lord's asking, will you trust me? That's it. Wow. So what happened as a result of that? We came back and within a couple of weeks, the company I was working for in Denver laid off about 30% of the workforce. I didn't lose my job, but I started you know, working the job of multiple people and there just didn't seem to be much of a light at the end of the tunnel. So we were like, well, maybe... Maybe there's still a transition and it's me transitioning to a new company. And so we prayed about it and just felt the freedom to start throwing my application out there. And we were trying to figure out, is it staying in Denver or somewhere else? Oklahoma City kind of caught our attention. We didn't have any links in Oklahoma City, but it was in between both our families. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, you know, we'd, we'd rather not move to Houston if we can help it. So let's applied a couple companies in Oklahoma City and then a couple companies in Denver and just see see what happens. And so we did and I only ever got contacted by the companies I had applied for in Oklahoma City. And so we thought, okay, well maybe that's something. So one of the companies actually offered to fly my wife and I down and put us up in a hotel for a night so that we could explore the city a little bit after the interview. The interview went well that night had a dream that I was working for this company. And that's not something that had ever happened in my life. But I remembered it and woke up and thought, oh man, I told my wife, I said, I think I think they're going to offer me a job and this is where I'm going to work because I had a dream about this. And she's like, okay, well, we'll see. And then that's what happened. <laughs> a couple weeks later, they offered me a job and took it and then moved our family down to Oklahoma. And you, you told the hiring manager, you know, I had a dream you were going to do this. So I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I told him. <laughs> exactly. 
So then you moved to Oklahoma City. Yep. How long were you in Oklahoma City before things started to really transition for you? Honestly, fairly quickly. We knew, as I mentioned, that coming to Oklahoma City, we knew it was the Lord leading us. And I guess that we always felt like there was something more than just a job, that there was something, some bigger reason that we were moving to Oklahoma City. And, and that wasn't really normal for us. We grew up in pretty standard non-denominational background, the whole listening to the Lord. And it was something we weren't real experienced with. So me having a dream and us hearing that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the first times in our life we had really experienced much of that. Mm -hmm. And so when we came to Oklahoma City, we had actually tried to find, you know, a church. And so we had been a part of a church in in Denver, taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. And we both really liked that. So, you know, I started Googling <laughs> churches in Oklahoma City that had that kind of teaching and it led us to a church called Bridgeway. And then I realized that the senior pastor had actually written a book I had read three or four years before that I had really enjoyed, but I had no idea he was a pastor anywhere. So it's like, oh, that guy, I've heard that name. And then I actually had a childhood friend who had lived in Oklahoma City for a few years previously. And I reached out to him and asked him where he had gone to church. And he said, oh man, we found this great church called Bridgeway. And so it's like, oh, that's the same church we were already thinking about. Maybe we should start there. That's cool. And went our first week and that's where we stayed. But that's really where it felt like some of those changes started happening because, I mean, Bridgeway is a it's a church that really wants to emphasize like adherence to the word, sound theology, while also walking in the power of the Spirit. Mm. And so for the first time in our lives, we saw people who were trying to really be biblical in their practice of the gifts, but also bold in asking the Lord to do big things. And so that really started opening our eyes to, man, maybe the Lord does speak more frequently than we thought. Maybe he does move in ways that we thought had stopped, you know, when the at the end of Revelation, you know, after a few years of that, there was an opportunity to go to Kenya with a short-term trip from Bridgeway. And they mentioned it from the front. I thought, oh, I'd really like to do that. And then my wife elbowed me and she said, I think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> so, it's like, oh, okay. This is a mom of three now. And she's telling me, you know, I can go by myself for a week and a half. That's no small thing. To the other sure. side of the world. Right, exactly. And so went and, I mean, honestly, it just blew my mind in so many ways. I mean, just from seeing people miraculously healed, seeing people like have pictures of things while they're praying and then seeing those things happen and not just like very general pictures, but very specific, like getting names for people that they then met on the side of the road days later mm. and things like that. It just really stirred in me this like, oh my gosh, how can I see this type of faith lived out in my own life? And through all of that, the Lord just really awakened in me a desire to get to work more with diverse churches. That was my first time worshiping in a place where the music was different, the language was different, the people were different, and just that first picture of what heaven's going to be like with people from every tribe, language, and nation. But also, I had multiple people on the team just affirm to me that I had the gift of teaching. And so came back and thought, okay, Lord, what, what do you want to do with this? I was talking to my wife, trying to figure out what to do, and there's that knee-jerk 
thought of like, oh, I need to go be a senior pastor like tomorrow. Thankfully, I had a mentor who helped me tap the brakes and reminded me that it's a marathon race with the Lord, not just a sprint. So let's really press in to what the Lord has. And actually, during that time, I remember there was a worship night at church. This is a couple weeks after I had gotten back. And there was a song and the, the words were describing heaven and people clothed in white worshiping the Lord. And I just remember in my mind, just feeling like I was in heaven, seeing millions of people dressed in white worshiping together. And I remember looking over to my right and seeing like Kenyans worshiping and thinking, oh, I can't wait to worship with them again. And I remember looking around and thinking, who don't I see here that I want to see here? And a few people came to my mind. But then I also noticed that there were a lot of people there worshiping that were like translucent, shadowy. They didn't look solid. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what that meant. But I started praying about that and thinking like, what What was that about? What, were, what does all this mean? And the Lord just revealed to me that the people who were not solid are people from places in the world where there's no one worshiping Jesus today. So that really just started stirring in my heart, my wife's heart, this idea of, Lord, how do you want to use us to see more worshipers of you around the world? And especially in places where currently there are no worshipers of you. So that led us to just start taking baby steps and say, okay, we, we don't know what the five-year plan is right now, but Lord, what's the next little step we can take to just see what it is you want to do with our lives? And he led us into prison ministry for me and, and doing some, some fostering as a family. We did those for about a year and a half. But as we were doing community with a group of people, just kept hitting this idea of missions. And I mean, honestly, my wife had been into missions in college. I always thought, I'll leave missions to the missionaries. I had never felt that call or that desire to be mm -hmm. to be a missionary. And so I had in my mind checked out this idea of like, yeah, concern for the world is for the missionaries. I'll focus on the people around me. And in that ended up just being with people, taking a couple classes, and just realized for the first time that like all throughout the Bible, God's heart is that. All the nations would be blessed and people from all nations would know him all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And that was the first time where I thought, oh man, I've been saying I'm a child of God for all these years. And yet my heart has not reflected his in that he cares about all people. In fact, his great commission before he left was go make disciples of all nations. In Matthew and Acts 1.8, it's go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One of the most favorite and the most well-known verses in the Bible from Psalm 46 is, you know, be still and know that I am God. And I know we have that in our house, but the second half of that verse is, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be known in all the earth. And it's like, oh man, I, I had had such a narrow vision of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and really didn't have that bigger global vision. And so the Lord really convicted me in that and just kept stirring my heart for, okay, how do we all realize we have a role to play in seeing the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, whether we're the actual boots on the ground overseas or not. But actually, our first response was 
let's go overseas. Let's see. You know, we had a couple of people in our community that were thinking of going and we thought, okay, that's it. That's what we should do. But then I had a, a really big health scare that kept us from pursuing going overseas at that point in our lives. This isn't one of those momentary things where the missionary shows up and you feel convicted and you put some money in the plate, so to speak. Right. This was an ongoing drumbeat in your heart for both of you that there is more, we know there's more, and we have to get plugged into that more and see things from a global perspective. This is what was burning in your heart. Then you have this health scare right before you're planning to leave to go on another short-term mission trip. Yeah, so I just developed a heart arrhythmia uh, called ventricular tachycardia. It's when your heart beats uh, faster than it ought to in the lower part of the heart, which is the parts that really move the blood. I was playing frisbee at lunch one day. I just couldn't get a heartbeat. I was lightheaded, couldn't catch my breath. And when I got to a doctor, they took my heart rate and it was about 230 beats a minute. Oh, man. And I was in that for about an hour and a half before finally it slowed down and came out of that. You know, the first time it happened, it was the thought of, man, this just happens sometimes, probably nothing long-term, but I kept having, they call them runs of mm-hmm. it. And over those next three months, they just realized that it was something that wasn't going to go away. So they put a defibrillator in my chest. They implanted one. Yep. Then the few months after that, I would get shocked about once a month, probably, from my defibrillator. So they knew like, okay, this isn't just a management thing. We need to see what kind of procedure we can help him help this with. And jumped around to a couple doctors. They really struggled with what the answer was. But finally, the Lord led me to a, a solid doctor. And he was honest enough to say, your condition's really rare. The damage on your heart is on the outside of your heart, not the inside, which means that it needs a special procedure if we're going to do anything. And he's like, honestly, I've only done it maybe 10 times in my whole career. And there's no one else really in the region who's done this very much. So I'd recommend you go to a high volume center somewhere else. I went to a hospital in Philadelphia, got connected with one of the top doctors in the world for my specific condition and got on his books about four or five months out to come in and have this procedure done. And two weeks after getting back from going and visiting him and doing all the the things I needed to do, I had my worst event yet. And it was called a VT storm where basically my heart just would not slow down. So I ended up getting shocked 58 times within Mm. a two hour period that night. I I just remember, you know, getting put into the ambulance. You know, I'd already been shocked 12 or so times by that point. My mind was in full panic. So couldn't really say goodbye to my kids. We had tried to keep them out of the room. So they didn't really know dad was having such a hard time. And as they wheeled me out, it was like, I didn't get to really say goodbye to my family. And when they put me in the ambulance, the door shut. And I just like the first thought in my head was, I'm never coming home. This is it. When that thought entered my mind, like the only way I can describe it is a voice in my head. And it said, Shane, you you say you trust me and you love me. But do you really believe that I love you and your family more than you could ever imagine? And because of that, I might take you away from them tonight. I don't know how to respond to that, Sure. especially in the moment where I'm panicking and trying to figure out what's going on. And 
so I'd like to say right in that moment, I was like, yes, Lord. And immediately I was calm, but <laughs> that's not what happened. Makes for good story, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I kept panicking and finally they, they knocked me out. And I came to about an hour and a half later, having been shocked, you know, another 40 times. <laughs> Incredible. But yeah, the short version of the story is, I mean, I... I called the doctor that I needed to get the procedure from the next day. Somehow, in air quotes, somehow they had an opening five days later. Uh, so I was able, the Lord gave me the strength to to get out to Pennsylvania and they did the procedure. I remember a couple really good friends praying for me in those days between. And I remember one of them praying like, Lord, if you're not going to miraculously heal Shane, do something in Pennsylvania, the doctor would have to say is miraculous. And after the procedure, the doctor came in, you know, I'm, I'm awake. It was a 10 hour procedure. 10 hours. Yeah. I just said, okay, what happened? Like, was it successful? And I just remember him saying, when we got in there, it didn't look promising because you've got arteries, veins, nerves on the outside of your heart. And so we're limited on where we can actually do the procedure. And he said, when we got in there, we found all sorts of stuff happening in your heart. We were not thinking we were probably going to be able to take care of everything. But his words were, but miraculously, all the activity on your heart was coming from one spot, and that spot had no nerves or blood vessels at all. So he said, we took care of it. And afterward, we were not able to like get you back into that arrhythmia again. He's like, so it, it's successful. Yeah. All of a sudden, I remembered those words from the ambulance, and I thought, Lord, thank you for sparing me, for, le- for giving, continuing to give me breath. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with me? What What do you want me to do? And so what came to your mind when you prayed that, when you said that to him? So we knew going overseas was off the table, at least for however long. But in the process of pursuing that, we had also heard of this, this role of mobilization. And it's the idea of, you think of like in World War II, there were people going around doing drives and trying to help everybody in the country like, mobilize the war effort, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So they were trying to give people opportunities, train people, like how do we all get involved in this effort? And so a mobilizer, as it was painted, is someone who helps stir up the body as disciple makers to all be involved in the Great Commission and then helps people get connected with ways in which they can, for lack of a better term, like serve the war effort. We're in the biggest most high stakes war (laughs) ever. Mm -hmm. It's that idea of like helping people realize there are no sidelines in God's kingdom. That's kind of how I view it. And I just remember like for years, I thought I'm on the sidelines. Like they'll come, people come to me when they need a check and I'll write a check, but that's all I'll do. You know, just a little sub here, but it's like, no, there's far more that Mm -hmm. we can all do. Giving is huge and needed, but there's even more. My, My passion is how to help people realize their unique giftings and abilities that the Lord's given them, and then how to utilize that as being powerful tools for the kingdom. And so that's really what a mobilizer is. We'd already been thinking like, okay, I don't know, maybe mobilization is something we should look at, but we were thinking while I work full-time at my job. Yeah. And then after this health thing, that was what came up was like, nope, I think this is, I think this is something maybe the Lord's calling us to do as our full-time vocation. So that really just launched us into thinking like, okay, what does that look like? And and really asking that question, is that really what he's asking? You know, because I'm, I'm an engineer in oil and gas. I've been doing this 11 years. So pretty much living the American dream, making good money, 
not really worried about it. We can give a lot to ministries. We loved getting to give to different causes. It's like, Lord, is that really what you want us to do? To to leave a stable salary, good health care, to jump into ministry where I'm having to like raise all my own funds. The healthcare is not quite as great. Like there's just a lot more risk, especially with my health condition. It was like, okay, surely, Lord, you're not asking us to do that. Surely. But in the months after that health condition, it was just like, nope, that's what I'm asking you to do. Amazing. When you came to the realization that that was indeed what he was asking you to do, how did that feel? What was that moment like? I know there was some hesitation, but it was not, you think of that idea of like, you're about to jump out of an airplane to go skydiving and you're like nervous. I wasn't as rattled as I thought I'd be. Because I think at that point, after all the health stuff and everything else, Mm -hmm. it was just like, yeah, there was nothing in that moment that could have saved my life except that I was in the Lord's hands. That's the main thing that most people are trying to hold on to and are, are afraid of, you know, they're afraid of death. It's like, well, if the Lord walked us through that, even though it was really hard, surely that he can handle this. <laughs> surely. And so there was definitely trepidation, but it was a lot more like, okay, like more of that determination. Like, okay, that's what he's doing. Let's let's figure out how to do this. And did your wife share that same determination? Yeah, it was I mean, it was a little bit different for her. It's not fair to just say that that year of my health stuff was only hard on me because we were actually fostering a little boy at that point. We had three biological kids all under the age of five. And she was pretty much like single mom in it that year. Wow. And so it was just incredibly difficult on her. And I I even think of like during my 10 hour procedure, I don't really remember it, but she had 10 hours in a waiting room, not knowing what was going to happen. And so for her, I was thinking, oh man, this could be even harder for her because here she's like, can I just get a break? Can we just have a, a couple years easy after mm-hmm. what we just went through? But she affirmed it. She's yeah. like, yeah, I, I feel the same thing. I, I just, this feels like what the Lord is calling us to do. You didn't have any idea what God had in store when you got on your knees in the Garden of Gethsemane and he spoke to you. There's a transition coming. Will you trust me? Yeah, no idea. It was 2013 when that moment, the garden happened. And then end of 2018, when I stepped out of my engineering role to go into ministry. There's people that are listening to this that are probably thinking, shouldn't you have stayed in your job because couldn't you have touched more people by doing so and been used by God by doing so? And you weighed that seriously. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's obvious from what you've shared that the Lord was pointing you in this direction. And it's so individual, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I, I had those conversations with people who were like, I can't believe you're doing this. I don't think I could do that. But I think it was just the realization that there's there's all sorts of different roles in the kingdom. And just like there are some people who are called to be full-time pastors. There are some people who are called to be full-time like overseas workers working for the gospel. It's like, for us, what really resonated with us was, you know, realizing that 40% of the world's population has essentially no access to hearing the gospel. So even if someone had a vision from the Lord in the middle of the night, like they would have no idea what that meant because there was no one there to share the gospel. And Romans talks about that. Like, how will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? So realizing 40% of the world hasn't heard, and yet only one out of every 30 workers that we send 
overseas go to the 40%. For us, it was like, well, like if we're not able to go ourselves, we want to raise more people up to go to those places. That picture I had of the people worshiping in heaven, like we want to raise up and train healthy and well-prepared people to go to those places to see people worshiping Jesus for the first time. And we just realized that with that being what the Lord was calling us into, since we couldn't go ourselves in order to raise up enough people, it was like, no, he wants us to do this full time. Yeah. You know, he wants us to dedicate our lives to, to raising up and preparing others to do that. Honestly, what was exciting was that whole idea of multiplication, right? It's like Jesus, of all people that walked the earth, if there was one person who could have like actually done everything it took to like evangelize the whole world, it was him. You know, he's mm-hmm. the God man. <laughs> he's fully God and fully man. He could have done it. But instead, he only wa- he only ministered for three years and then he entrusted his ministry to 12 uneducated like backwater Galileans. <laughs> but then because of those 12, now like we're here today following Jesus. And so it's that idea of like, man, we get to play that role now. Like we, there are still places that have not heard of Jesus. Like our, we get to have a role in seeing that happen. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's our job. Like I, maybe we'll go one day, like if the Lord opens that door. But I mean, the last three years we've gotten to train like just under 30 people who are all pursuing, like, what would it look like for me to to move our families and, and go take the gospel where it's needed. And it's like, that's, that's where we get the joy. We got to have a small role in seeing those people walk out their calling. And these people have, have left the United States and have gone out from here. Yeah. What's been the greatest blessing of doing this and what's been the greatest challenge thus far? The blessing is just getting to, to see the Lord work in such powerful ways. I mean, there's so many stories, man, Lord, how did you do that? What are the odds of this happening? You know, that's mm-hmm. a common thing I think about. It's like, what are the odds of that happening? And it's like, every time I get to take someone out to like practice sharing the gospel here in Oklahoma City, we have these conversations and it's like, what are the odds that you were here and we're here and we're talking about this right now? And so I think it's just that blessing of getting to like step out in faith and see others have that light bulb moment that they get to see like, oh my gosh, like the Lord can use me. I want more of this. So I'd say that's the biggest blessing. Uh, the biggest challenge, I think honestly, has just been the blending of like, I worked in a corporate job for about 11 years. I had my hours and sure there were times I had to travel for work or take middle of the night calls, but I could separate life and work pretty well pretty easily. And in ministry, they overlap. It's like, I I work at a church and we go to that church and are members at that church, but I'm also on staff at that church and how to minister to my family well and not lose sight of that, but also minister to those we're walking with and realizing that takes a lot of intentionality. And and so that I think that's been the biggest challenge is mm-hmm. just trying to to balance that and continually seek the Lord and ask for his wisdom and guidance in what we say yes to and what we say no to. As we finish up here, is there any one piece of advice, one thought that you'd like to to leave? Like just thinking back over this whole journey of life and, and God willing, there's many decades to come. I heard recently our pastor shared like the excitement of the adventure of a friendship with Jesus. And I just think that like our lives 
are for far bigger purposes than I think oftentimes we can even imagine. And I think sometimes people can feel either disqualified from having a big impact or stuck or too comfortable, you name it. But it's the realization of like, no, God put us, each of his children on this planet for a purpose that isn't to see like how much we can do on our own effort, but to get to sit back and watch what he does through our limited effort. And yet it's like, but he's still inviting us to bigger things and deeper intimacy with him. And so it would just be like, don't stop asking, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Give me a God-sized vision for my life. Don't let me get tricked into a smaller vision or a limited scope. Lord, what do you want to use me and my ability, my abilities to do for you? So powerful. How can people find out more about what you're involved in and get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, they could email me. That's probably the best way. Shane, S-H-A-N-E dot Myers, M-Y-E-R-S at launchglobal.org. That's the organization I work with is Launch Global. And we just have mobilizers like my family around the country, just trying to help churches create pathways for their people to start pursuing what it is their their God-given purpose is and to grow as disciple makers, evangelists, and hopefully see people sent out. That's probably the best way is through my email. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too. As we finish here, could you please pray for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we are so grateful that you are everything to us, that you're not asking us to do anything that you are not ready to empower us to do. And Father, we just, we know how often we limit ourselves by focusing on our weaknesses or focusing on what the world tells us is possible. You are far greater. And I just ask that you would open our eyes, Lord, to see what you see, to see our lives the way you see them. Lord, and give us boldness and courage to step out into the things that you're giving us. Lord, help us to never get complacent where we're at, but Lord, to always be pressing into you and asking, what is it that you have for us? And to keep our eyes focused on you, to know that you're the one who can do it. And so Lord Jesus, I just pray for every life right now that you would activate them. Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to them their giftings, the things you've given them, and Lord, that you would give them new ideas and a bigger vision for what it is you want to do with their lives. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and praise you that you are who you say you are and you will not change. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Shane, thank you. It was an honor having you on the program today. Thank you very much, Brian. I really appreciate getting to share. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.